as we continue in this series entitled In the Beginning, looking at Genesis 1 through 3, we also realize this is a very important time in the life of Moberly as we come together again tonight to worship and as all of us really pray through how we can enter into this two-week time of prayer and fasting for God's will for Moberly, for the future of Moberly. And I hope that all of you will be a part of this time. It can be a special time in your relationship with Jesus Christ in taking part. Now, we want to continue in this series in the beginnings that began with understanding who God is as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit right in the first few verses of Genesis 1. And then last week, we raised the question, creation or evolution? What makes the most sense? And we saw in Genesis 1, looking at the whole chapter, how it really just makes the most sense that God is behind all of creation and life as we know it and nature as we know it did not just evolve by chance. Today we come to chapter 2 in Genesis. Paul will be speaking on portions of this, verses 4 through 17 next Sunday. But today we're looking at verses 1 through 3 and verse 15 of Genesis 2 as we deal with this theme today, the balance of work and rest. So I ask you to turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And if you're physically able, if you'll stand now in honor of God as we hear from him through his word. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their host. And by the seventh day God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. And then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Verse 15, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it, and to keep it. Father, as we stand before you, knowing that all of us struggle with a balance of work and rest, we thank you for your example, Father. And we pray today that as you teach us and convict us from your word, that this will be a life-transforming time as all of us make some big decisions, as we trust in you and claim your power to help us have a better balance on work and rest. And Father, as always, when we look into the old covenant or the new covenant, may Jesus Christ be central to all that is said and done here. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Do you see work as a blessing or a curse? Are you longing for retirement and even that American panacea if you're in your 30s and 40s of early retirement? Or do you really enjoy getting up and going to work day in and day out? Is your work frustrating or is it fulfilling? 
Is it meaningful or is it drudgery? Now, how you answer those questions probably will help you realize how important this message is today in the balance of work and rest. And to begin today, we're going to start with Genesis 2.15. We'll come back to verses 1 through 3. But let's start here in Genesis 2.15. Then the Lord God took the man Adam. He put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. Now, understand that work is not a curse. There are some people who believe that because of man's sin, that man had to go to work. No, that's not true. God put Adam in the Garden of Eden, and this is before sin. This is when everything is right, everything is perfect. All life is in harmony with one another. And God gives Adam a job. That is to cultivate it and keep the garden. That involves a lot of hard work. The place may be a beautiful place to live, but you've got to harvest the crops. You've got to harvest the fruit. You've got to mow the lawn. Man has a responsibility here. Now, if you don't believe that, just look at a couple of pictures on the screen. First of all, this pic of a house that is completely unkempt. Look at the grass needs to be mowed. The bushes and the shrubbery are not kept. And as my wife Ann says about homes like this, they just need a little love. They just need a little love to fix up that place because probably some of you have neighbors that have yards like this and it drives you crazy and maybe you are that neighbor. But then look at this picture. How beautiful it is when you see a home, beautifully manicured, beautiful flowers, the lawn is mowed. It makes us all feel good just seeing a place of beauty like this. What a contrast. And that's what God is saying to Adam. I've given you a beautiful place to live with all these great natural resources, but you have a responsibility to cultivate it and to keep it. How are you doing when it comes to your stewardship of your work? How are you doing? Now, why is it that some people confuse work with being a curse? Go over to the next chapter in Genesis 3. We're going to come to this in this series, but in Genesis 3, we see the original sin of man. We see the problems of man that begin because of man's sin. And right after that original sin, God only, not only cursed the snake, he not only gave Eve's curse, making it very clear to her, but he also gave the curse that the man was going to have to deal with. And we read about this in verse 17 through 19 of Genesis 3. Then to Adam he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you'll eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles shall grow for you. You will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken for you were dust and to dust you shall return. And then shortly thereafter, Adam and Eve are expelled from the Garden of Eden. And it's not going to be the greatest place to live for them always. It's going to be difficult. And what we see in the confusion here, work is not a curse. Work is a blessing. Work is a calling. Work is a good thing. But the ground began to be cursed. So what does that mean, really? It means that work from here on out is going to be frustrating at times. There's going to be times when work is not fruitful, when we don't see the results we'd like to see. But not only that, 
because every man is going to have some concern about providing for his family. Now, I realize as both husband and wife work outside the home is so common in today's culture, there are all kind of other dynamics that come into this. There can often be a sad competition between husband and wife. There can often be a sad inadequacy the husband feels in comparison with the wife, all kind of things. But the bottom line is every man wants to provide for his family. And because of that, and because work is not always fruitful and not always easy, and because there are recessions and famines and floods and depressions and times like COVID-19, and employers who are not loyal, and businesses that are bought out, and all kinds of problems that can arise, there's a lot of fear and anxiety about work, especially for the man. In providing for his family and that's what's being described here it's a result of man's sin now in that light there are really two major responses where man gets out of work out of whack if you will because of worries and concerns or difficulties in work one is laziness just feeling like it's so frustrating what difference does it make or secondly workaholism which is an obsession with work. Now, let's begin with laziness. And let's go to the New Testament. The Proverbs talk a lot about laziness and the dangers of that. But let's go to the New Testament where you would certainly expect a lot more compassion, a lot more love. That's just your mindset about the New Testament. So let's see what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Thessalonians. Now, if you're new to Bible study, go about two-thirds of the way over in your New Testament. You'll get close to 2 Thessalonians. And here's a hint. It's right after 1 Thessalonians. If you'll get there, you're getting close. Just keep turning and look at chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians, verse 10. For even when we were with you, we used, to give, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now, all but but now each person we, with each person we command and exhort you to work in a fashion and eat their bread for the good of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you're thinking to yourself, well, that doesn't sound very compassionate. That doesn't sound very nice. Can you imagine a Christian making a statement like this? You don't work, you don't eat. That is the Word of God. That is the Apostle Paul, incredible Christian talking about the responsibility of work and how it is laziness and being irresponsible in regards to our work it's clearly a sin but some of you think well surely Jesus wouldn't be that tough I mean Jesus is going to be a lot more compassionate well turn to this parable Matthew 25 Matthew is the first book of the new covenant look at the 25th chapter Jesus is giving a parable here about the talents Master leaves, gives five talents to one servant, two talents to another, one talent to another. And the five and two talent recipients, they multiply theirs. They double their talents or their gifts or the fruitfulness of their work, if you will. But the one talent man, he does nothing. He just goes and buries it, does nothing. And look at how the master responds to this one talent man as we begin reading in verse 26 of Matthew 25. His master answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Verse 28, 
Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. This is Jesus talking. Can you imagine? Socialists hate this parable. They hate it. I mean, what could be more unjust than the one talent man, one talent being given to the ten talent man? How in the world could Jesus say something like that? But lest you think he didn't mean it, look at what he says in verse 30. He says, throw out this worthless slave into the outer darkness, into that place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's talking about hell. Folks, if you think laziness isn't a serious sin, this is Jesus talking. And in the parable of the talents, he's saying, look, we're, we're all given different types of talents, di- different amounts of talents and gifts, but we're to make the most of what God has entrusted to us. And if we are lazy and irresponsible on the use of those talents, God is deeply disappointed. How are you doing there? But then we have the other extreme, and that is the workaholic. And chances are the workaholic loves the parable of the talents. After all, the workaholic, you've been sitting there saying, tell it to him, preach it, brother. I love that. But the workaholic is also dealing with serious sin. It's called idolatry. It is making your work the primary concern of your life, the biggest deal in your life, and that is never God's will. Now, I want you to take a little test, self-examination test. I read this, and I thought it was fascinating in describing character traits of the workaholic. See how you measure up here. Number one, they are the first to the office and the last to leave, and they're proud of it. Number two, they're constantly checking their phone or their emails, not just at work, but at meals, at home, at night, in the morning, before they go to bed. Number three, they just can't say no. And four, they're always talking about how busy they are because, after all, their whole sense of self-worth is wrapped up in their work. And five, they're restless on a day off or some time away. Or on vacation because they feel like just got to get back to work now those of you that were screaming preach on about laziness how you doing on this maybe there's a little conviction there now here's my confession i'm a reform workaholic it's my confession to you today I said this morning, I'm a reformed alcoholic. I said, oh, my goodness, you're thinking, this, this uh, interim pastor, he's got all kind of background. It came out wrong. I haven't, thankfully, I hadn't had to deal with that addiction, but I am a reformed workaholic. And I'll tell you where I became convicted about it. When John Safiri gave us our first sabbatical, I'd been there six years as the founding pastor of the church. The church had really been busy in building that church, and I was pretty exhausted during that time from intense work demands, and so we got away. And on the third Saturday night away, we were going to be away for a couple of months. That's a long time for a preacher not to preach, and it's a long time for a pastor to be away from the church. And about the third Saturday night, we were staying with some friends in Houston. We had served in Second Baptist Church there in Houston, where I was led after seminary to go begin that singles ministry. And at 3 a.m., I was pacing the floors. I was really restless and anxious because, after all, what was going to happen to the church while we were away all that time? And how could I go two months without preaching? I mean, I just was really upset, and, and I couldn't sleep. And 
Ann woke up and said, what in the world are you doing? It's 3 a.m. I said, well, I just can't sleep. I'm so worried about the church and all. She said, well, if you're going to act like this, let's go on home then. I said, well, I don't know. I want to do that right now. But anyway, what God did was convict me that I was having the workaholic DTs. That's, that's what it was. I was just, it was withdrawal that was going on there. And what a blessing it was to finally realize how important it is to let go and trust God with your work. That was a turning point in my life to where vacations in the future, it would be easy just to let it go. Trust that God is going to be in control. Now, there was a big thing that occurred in the midst of all this as a young pastor. And that is realizing the importance of the gift of the Sabbath. Now, go back to Genesis. Go back to Genesis chapter 2. And let's see the great example that God sets in Genesis 2 verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. In other words, he worked hard six days work. I don't think any of us could ever claim matter, no matter how hard you work that you've had a tougher or more demanding week, I should say, than God's week in creation. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. And then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Now, what you see here, folks, is the perfect example of God. Worked hard six days. Full day of rest. Question, question. Are you greater than God? Are you feeling you're so important when it comes to your work that you're greater than God? I don't think so. If God needs a Sabbath and a day of rest, I think we all need a Sabbath and a day of rest. Now, let's understand what is a Sabbath. Well, keep your finger there at Genesis 2, and we're going to go over to Exodus. This is the second book of the Bible, right after Genesis. We'll look at chapter 20 as we see the teaching about the Ten Commandments. You come to commandment number 4 in verse 8, Genesis, uh, Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God, and in it you shall not do any work. You or your son, your daughter, your male or female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner, that's an immigrant that has joined this family who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord bless the Sabbath day. Now, what is the Sabbath? According to the Ten Commandments, it was Saturday, and it was a 24-hour time frame where you're separated or pull away from your work. You go to Jerusalem today in Israel, and it's so exciting to be in Jerusalem on Friday at dusk, because remember, their days begin at dusk, our days begin at dawn, but they measure days beginning at dusk. And so at dusk on Friday, through dusk on Saturday is the Shabbat or the Sabbath in Israel. And it's so exciting in Jerusalem to be in a world-famous city that is literally shutting down in front of your eyes at dusk on Friday. And all that goes back to the Ten Commandments and the teaching about a reverence for the Sabbath. And you see all these Orthodox Jews, they're scurrying and rushing to have Shabbat or Sabbath meal with their families or going to have worship at the synagogue. It's a wonderful place to be. 
But understand this. For far more Christians, the Sabbath is on Sunday. And why is that? Now listen, are you listening? Think about the miracle of this and think about what a historical evidence this is that Jesus rose from the dead, that Jewish men who were followers of Jesus decided to change their day of worship and rest to Sunday versus Saturday, which the Jewish people so revere. You see, us being in church is a testimony that Jesus rose from the dead, that we're worshiping on Sunday. But let me promise you this, your new pastor and all your ministerial staff, they don't have a Sabbath on Sunday. I promise you that. The good news for Christians is the day doesn't matter. For most here, Sunday works the best because it's a better chance for you to focus on the holiness of God in worshiping with other believers on Sunday. But for some people, it's going to be another day of the week. All those years I was pastoring, it was mostly on Tuesday for me. After the intensity of Sunday and all kind of staff meetings on Monday, just kind of the rest time, the wind down time. What day is best for you? You have the freedom to decide what is the best day for you. But let me share a few things about why the Sabbath is such an important time for us in keeping this balance between work and rest. Number one, it's a gift to man. Let me read you this verse that Jesus gives us. This is from Jesus because Jesus caught all kind of grief from the religious leaders because Jesus wasn't following all their man-made legalisms concerning their definitions of what is work and what is not work. Because realize the Sabbath in the end is a 24-hour time period that you pull away from your main job. That's really what it is. You don't want to get into legalism about the Sabbath, but just realize we need a 24-hour period where we pull away from our main job. And this is what Jesus says in Mark 2:27. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, yes, it's a command. Yes, it's one of the Ten Commandments, but it is a gift. Imagine what God is saying. He's saying, look, you can have a day off guilt-free. Guilt-free. When you take that day off away from your work, you're doing something that is pleasing to God. That's a gift from God. But not only that. The Sabbath obviously provides rest. And it's not just physical rest. It is emotional rest. It is intellectual or mental rest. And it is certainly spiritually renewing. That is the gift of the Sabbath. It allows us to rest and withdraw from our main job. But that's not all. It is a forced discipline against workaholism. It's a forced discipline. Think about it this way. Think about it this way. When you and I as Christians tithe, that is giving the first 10% of our income to the Lord to acknowledge his ownership of 100% of what we have, it's an acknowledgement that we're trusting God to meet the needs of our life. When we tithe, it is a forced discipline against the love of money. Because Jesus says you've got to choose. You can't love God and money. You've got to choose. And the tithe is that weekly or monthly however often you're tithing it is that forced discipline to remind us that it's all God's and we don't put our trust in money well 
The Sabbath is a forced discipline to remind us that our work is not ultimately up to us. We have a big responsibility. We're to be hardworking and responsible, but it's ultimately up to God. And in that light, I want to share what happened to me many a time when I was on a more regular day for the Sabbath. It's now new in my life, different days of the week with the new roles that I'm in in ministry. But when it was a regular day, a lot of times on Monday night, I'd get home after the demands of Sunday and all the staff meetings on Monday, and I'd tell Ann, you know, I think I'm toast. I think I'm toast. I just, I, I, I love the church, but I ain't got anything left. She'd roll her eyes. She'd hurried hundreds of times. But by Tuesday afternoon, kind of coming into the tail end of that 24-hour period away from work, I would hear a still, small voice, and it was the Lord. Bright baby, this church is not yours. It's mine. You see, the reason the Sabbath is so important is it reminds us to trust God with our work rather than taking on this Messiah complex that it's all up to us. That's what God does on the Sabbath. He reminds us that He is in charge. We're to put our trust in Him. So in that regard, in thinking about the Sabbath, realize how much it enriches your work When you pull away for 24 hours, it avoids burnout, and very often, at the end of my Sabbath, I'm ready to go back to work. You just, you're ready. You've had that time away. So, let me give you some practical suggestions, just practical suggestions, of the balance of work and rest as we see it in Scripture. And I want to urge you to write these down because I think if you don't write it down by the time you're getting in your car in the parking lot, you won't even remember what the sermon was about. So write these down so that you can maybe begin to apply this to your everyday life. Number one, be clear on your life purpose. Now, you say, well, what's that have to do with balance of work and rest? You know, it's very important for each of us to be clear on our life purpose. We've seen in Genesis 1 that man has a responsibility to care for his creation. You'll see as we get to the passage on marriage in Genesis 2 that procreation is a responsibility of the husband and wife in marriage. We, we see those things. We see that Adam had a responsibility to work, to cultivate, and care for the garden. So we see all these things that are part of the purpose of man, but what is your ultimate life purpose? Can you write it out in a sentence? Let me share with you what my life purpose is. By walking closely with the Lord, I want to be a faithful and fruitful witness for Christ day by day to the end of my life. Now, that's a little long. Maybe you can get yours down to a phrase. But that began in my 30s many, many years ago. And that life purpose is saying I need to stay close to God. I need to walk with God. I need to to be in tune with God. And it's only by His power that I'm going to be able to be a faithful and fruitful witness for Christ. But I want to do that day by day to the end of my life. Because in my early 30s and seeing some other pastors that were friends of mine falling into sin, I realized, you know, I'm a sinner. It scared the daylights out of me. This can happen to me. And so I realized the importance then of 
having a life purpose that is focusing on where I want to finish so that guides me in the decisions I make day in and day out. Decisions that could mean compromise and falling into sin or decisions that could be priorities that get out of balance and out of whack in my life like the balance of work and rest. That's why God led me to do that. What's your life purpose? Can you say it in a phrase or a sentence? If not, I urge you to spend some time with the Lord. Maybe get away for a day or two. Just have your Bible. Talk to the Lord in prayer. What is your life purpose? Why are you here? And here's the good thing. Now, everybody, listen. Are you listening? Listen. When you're clear on your life purpose, you better know when to say yes and when to say no about the things you do. When you're clear on your life purpose, it's not affected by the job you're in now. I used to be a full-time pastor. Now I'm serving with sin relief and part-time with right from the heart and here is your interim pastor. But the purpose statement doesn't change because you change jobs. It's not to be just identified with your working job. The purpose statement is much bigger than that, but it does guide you in having an idea of the type of work that you want to be in and what is a priority and where to say yes and where to say no to stay on track with the Lord. Don't underestimate the importance of a life purpose statement. Secondly, Confess to God if you struggle with laziness or being irresponsible or if you struggle with the idol of being a workaholic. Confess it to God. Ask the Lord to forgive you for priorities out of whack. And if you're not a follower of Christ, this can be a starting point for you. If you're not a follower of Christ, if you've joined us online or you're here in worship with us, this can be a beginning point for you of acknowledging to God, you know, I I struggle with laziness over here, or God, I struggle with making my work too big a priority, and then go before the Lord and say, I need you. And if you're not a follower of Christ, I've got some really good news. Jesus came to die on the cross for your sin of laziness or your sin of idolatry and workaholism to save you from that. That's why Jesus came. Or whatever sin it is that you're struggling with. So see this as a turning point in your life to entrust your heart and life to Christ, believing that he died on the cross for your sins, to forgive you of your sins, to make you right with God, and he gives you a great bonus because he rose from the dead. He gives you the promise of an eternal relationship with him that even is victorious and unending in the face of death. And not only that, he empowers you with the Holy Spirit to give you a desire to live in a way that is pleasing to Him. So confess to the Lord if things are out of whack in this area. Thirdly, work for the glory of God more than man. Obviously, when you're under authority, you want to please your boss, your supervisors. That's that's a, a good concern. But most of all, you want to please God. And do what you do for the glory of God. Man there in Atlanta in one of the corporate offices, hardworking man, often late there at night, there was an older lady, been on the housekeeping staff for years there with their company. 
And he would see her there singing as she was going about doing her work at night and just always had a smile on her face. And finally, just after seeing this for months and months, he said to her, he said, you've got a tough job. You always just seem so upbeat. How, how do you do it? She smiled. She says, because I'm serving the king of kings. I'm working to please the king of kings. No matter the demands of your role, how difficult is your job, how difficult is your supervisor, to keep in mind that we're to do this for the glory of God. Let me read to you a key verse. Hold on to this verse. Colossians 3, 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. And fourth, ask God to give you a desire and discipline for a weekly Sabbath where you have a 24-hour time frame that you pull away from your main job. Just ask the Lord for, now here's some things you're going to have to do. Ann and I have been going through this in a new way because in all those years there was a rhythm of being a pastor for 38 years and now I'm in different roles of ministry. And so my Sabbaths are on different days of the week. But here's the most effective way to being able to do it. Listen, are you listening? Have the most important calendar event in a seven-day period be the day you're going to have your Sabbath. Just be sure you put that on your calendar, what your Sabbath is. So that when other things come up and demands come up, you, you, you've already got, you've got a, a commitment there to your Sabbath. Secondly, you're going to have to, when it comes to keeping this weekly Sabbath, you're going to have to make some decisions about your iPhone and how you deal with emails. You're going to have to make some decisions. Very often, early in the morning on the Sabbath I'm on, I will call and leave a voicemail for my assistant about three or four things that I know if I don't leave them with her, knowing that they're going to affect a lot of other people that I'm working with, I'm not going to have an easy time resting on that Sabbath. So you, you may need to do that. But what are you going to do in self-discipline when it comes to phone and email so that you can really keep your Sabbath? And sometimes, you know, you don't want to be legalistic. Sometimes you do need to respond. Jesus battled the legalistic aspect of Sabbath. He battled it. So we don't want to be legalistic. There may be sometimes you respond. But very often you might need to simply say, you know, I'm not able to get to you today. Can I call you tomorrow? Or I'm not able to get to you today. Can so-and-so be of help to you? There are different ways that you can approach that and still have this time frame off. But ask God to give you some guidance to make some decisions about what you can do to have that weekly Sabbath. The gift of God, a guilt-free time off, a day of the week that you are pleasing God if you rest. Now understand this. It could be that you love working in the yard, in the garden. All day long, people say, well, you're working. If it's not your full-time job, it ain't work. It's therapy. It's rest. Something different from what you do the other six days of the week. Here's the key, folks. 
when you have balance with work and rest, it is the key to a fulfilled, productive, meaningful life. Let's pray. Father God, all of us need your forgiveness. We've all had times of laziness, giving in to that sin, being irresponsible. And Father, we have times of being a workaholic, of feeling like it's all up to me, realizing it's really all up to you. And you just call on us to work hard and be responsible and have that balance of work and rest. Lord, we need you. We fall short. We struggle here. I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, Father, that you're working and convicting our hearts right now about calling on you to give us the power, the desire, the discipline of the balance of work and rest. Oh, Lord, may it be. May this be a life-transforming time of worship with you. May we begin to make some decisions in our life that forever enrich our life when it comes to the balance of work and rest. And Father, if there are people here that are far from you or maybe have never come to know you through the person of Christ, but today this just resonates with them and you're convicting them of the need to get this right, may they cry out to you and say, Lord, forgive me. I realize I've had priorities out of whack. I now claim that what Jesus did on the cross was to forgive me of these sins or whatever sin it may be. And I'm going to put my trust in you, Lord. I want to follow Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I ask you to empower me and give me that inner desire to develop a lifestyle of work and rest that glorifies you most of all. Father, we thank you for setting the example here. In the beginning, you set the perfect example of the balance of hard work and rest. Thank you, Father. For we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.